1: Well, hello folks,
0: and thanks for tuning in to AOA. Always appreciate you making us a part of your day here as you plan your operation and get out to work. We certainly appreciate being a part of that. And folks, we've got a lot to cover today. There's a lot of policy issues going on right now that impact the world of agriculture. We're going to talk first here in just a moment with Tom Haig, president of the National Corn Growers Association, about Mexico's plan to end or now potentially reduce imports of U.S. yellow corn. Before segment two, we're going to check in with gt thompson chair of the Re- the house ag committee serves as a republican from pennsylvania there in the house of representatives he'll give us an update on what to expect here with the farm bill in 2023 before we check in with Aaron Bohr in segment three of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We've seen meat exports be hot over the past two years, but currency fluctuations and changing herd sizes could change that export picture going forward. Aaron will give us her take on how things look for 23 before we close out the show with our friend Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk here to end the hour. Let's jump right in to this issue that is roiling the corn markets right now. Tom Haig, president of the NCGA, joins us now. And Tom, really appreciate you taking the time to fill us in on this issue
2: well thank you mike for having me on there this morning
0: so let's talk first and foremost let's update our listeners tom if they're perhaps not familiar with this issue it sounds as though mexico is looking to try to ban in some way form or fashion u.s yellow corn imports and that's an issue for corn growers isn't it
2: yes it is you know the uh Just about a year ago, they had this decree starting in 2024 that they were going to ban all of GMO corn, even if it was white or yellow corn that we grow here in the U.S. And uh, that all of a sudden became a a large target on American corn farmers. And uh, that's what uh, got us started as national corn growers when I turned president to uh, start talking about this because the inputs that we start buying this past fall are going to be in the pipeline for 2024.
0: That's right. And the scale of Mexican corn purchases from the U.S. Tom, it's huge. 15 million metric tons of U.S. yellow corn rolled across that border here this past year. So this is a vital conversation to have. And I know that you at the NCGA and of course, USDA and U.S. Trade Reps Office have been having conversations on this issue. Have we made any progress recently?
2: Yes, we have, Mike, and, you know, like you say, they're our number one importer of corn, and they're our neighbor, and, uh, you know, we uh, they started having conversations, Secretary Vilsack did in uh, December, and uh, he made uh, a statement to his counterparts down there that, uh, you know, as of right now, they were talking, let's delay this or let's compromise uh, Secretary Vilsack said, no, let's, uh, let's toe the line, uh, let's make sure we do our trade agreements that we have signed with UMCA to uh, go forward. And uh, that was the first big uh, statement coming from uh, the U.S. Department uh, of, of what uh, they plan on going ahead to, uh, to do.
0: And Tom, I know in this most recent conversation held earlier this week with officials from the Mexican government, we had two voices working on behalf of agriculture that we didn't have this past year. Of course, we had Doug McCaleb from the U.S. Trade Reps Office working on the ag negotiations and Alexis Taylor there at the USDA for the ag trade negotiator role. Have they come out? Have they issued a statement on this Mexican issue quite yet?
2: yes they have they were they were in fact both of them were down in mexico at the beginning of this week uh you know and and talking and uh, going and negotiating and uh they uh, in, ncga is applauding them because they stayed the line that we are not going to compromise stay to the rules of the ncga or i mean of the MC, umca trade bill and uh we will, uh, you, you know now where we stand. We're not going to uh, counter or do this. We're going to stay the line. So that was a very appreciative uh, of the administration coming through with those statements for the corn farmers of the U.S.
0: Absolutely, Tom. But this issue, as you mentioned, it's got that January 1st, 2024 date on it now. So the timeline has to be rather accelerated for, or accelerated, rather, for government action. What does this look like? How do these negotiations play out over the coming year?
2: Well, that, that's that's going to be interesting because uh, the Mexican government right now, and with their president, they know where the U.S. administration is standing. Now, if if they're going to counter or doing this or do that, that's uh, you know we can speculate on that. But uh, right now, we're uh, I think as corn farmers, we are in a good position. The administration is behind the trade laws and. Uh, I think uh, if it comes down to it, that uh, we could challenge and say, hey, we might have to take you to court because of the rules specifically say in the trade laws that uh, you have to accept our products of what what we're exporting to you, no matter if it's GMO or non-GMO
0: absolutely as long as the science supports the product they should be buying it and tom i'm wondering u.s corn growers have built a great relationship with the mexican livestock feeding industry so much of their corn imports go to keep those livestock growing south of the border have they signed on as an ally for ncga on this issue in mexico do we have voices from south of the border working on our behalf as well
2: that's uh, i i can't quite answer that question mike i don't know but we just know from our standpoint that we're giving them a, a good quality corn, and uh, the, our number one GMO corn would be cheaper than if they had to start uh, trying to find and buying uh, GM or non-GMO corn. Our GMO corn is cheaper. Non-GMO corn is going to cost them a lot more money to raise their animals and for food production in Mexico.
0: Absolutely. At a time when input prices are high, not just in the U.S., but Mexican farmers are looking at higher prices as well. It seems a tall order to try and grow that much more corn in Mexico here in this next year. Tom, of course, NCGA has been working on this issue. As you mentioned, it's a top priority for you going forward. If we've got listeners who want to keep up to speed with this, how can they follow along with what NCGA is working on?
2: I I think the best thing to do is go to our website, ncga.com, and uh... You know we've got some information there and uh you know we've also had some articles in the in, in the paper and uh just having the, the radio interviews like i'm doing today with you mike is uh very important for farmers to be listening and uh next tuesday we are i will be in dc again and we're kind of it's it's the year that it, it's been a year since they launched this so we're going to have a a 45 minute to an hour talk out there and uh just to uh, reemphasize where uh, the corn farmers are, and to uh, it's also again a, a thank to the administration for uh, saying what they're saying about the, the trade agreement. So uh, it, it's always going to be there in the news, and it it, it could be some very interesting news might coming down the road. It
0: certainly could, Tom. So that meeting in D.C. is next Tuesday. And folks, I want to make sure you're aware next Wednesday on AOA, it will be the monthly grind with our friends from NCGA. And we will be recording it live in New Orleans at the Cattlemen's Convention down there. And I'll also be working with NCGA on a learning lounge from 1230 to 130 next Wednesday in New Orleans, if you're going to be there. Today, we've been talking with Tom Haig, President of the National Corn Growers Association. Tom, thanks for keeping us up to date on this issue.
2: Thank you very much, Mike, and uh, have a good day, and uh, thanks uh, for your work, what you do to uh, get this information out to uh, the American corn farmer.
0: Well, we're certainly happy to help here at AOA, and folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking with G.T. Thompson, chair of the House Ag Committee, when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge at 1130. I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle.
1: We'll see you in New Orleans.
4: Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org
0: heading to ncba in new orleans february's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on wednesday february 1st from 9 to 10 a.m i'll be broadcasting aoa live from the u.s meat export federation booth on behalf of the national corn growers association also on thursday at 12:30 in the learning lounge i'll be facilitating ncga's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and port of new orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation we'll see you in new orleans This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, folks, to AOA. Thanks so much for making us a part of your day today as we dig into some of these issues that are impacting agriculture. Looking out to 2023, this battle with Mexico over GMO corn isn't the only battle on the policy front that will be taking place in D.C. this year. We're going to have shakeups to the committees. We've seen the House Ag Committee get formed. The Senate Ag Committee is on the path to formation right now. Had another announcement of a change earlier today. We saw the new senator from Vermont Peter Welch, succeeding Pat Leahy as a member of the Senate Ag Committee. But on today's show, we want to talk about what's going on in the House Ag Committee. That's the topic of discussion for today. Joining us today to bring us up to speed on what's happening there is Congressman G.T. Thompson, the chair of the Ag Committee in the House of Representatives. G.T., thanks for joining us today.
8: Hey, Mike, thank you so much. a privilege and honor to be with you.
0: Now, of course, you are the chair of the Ag Committee, but you represent Pennsylvania. And GT, I know you're tied into the ag industry in that state. Tell us, how's it going? How are the farmers of Pennsylvania feeling as 2023 gets started?
8: Yeah, well, I think it, you know, I'm hearing the same things in Pennsylvania, my my home state. As I've heard in the, uh, really, the perpetual barnstorming tour of American agriculture I've done over the past uh, two years, i visiting over 30 states, uh, key stakeholders, farmers, ranchers, processors, rural communities. And, and a lot of the same themes. Uh, uh, Mike, are, are showing up in, in Pennsylvania. In fact, we just did a regional listening session earlier this month at the 107th annual Pennsylvania Farm Show. But, but uh, you know, here's some of the things. And I, and I think it's, from what I can tell, it's a common theme, not just in the Keystone State, you know, um, inflation. Uh, the uh, the cost of input costs and a, and a lot of a lot of the folks there will acknowledge that uh, with most commodities we're getting some pretty good pretty good uh, commodity prices. Uh, I think there is a fear that they could drop overnight uh, but on the other side of the ledger, you know and farming is a business. so at the end of the day it's not what you bring in it's what you're left with it's what your margin is. those input costs uh, diesel fuel, uh, the cost of labor if you can get it. Uh, Cost of fertilizer, if you can get it, um, the uh, the availability uh, of the crop protection tools, whether it's for food or fiber, um, you know, and the uncertainty with with the current administration, right? I mean, there's still an under well, they just reintroduced waters to the U.S. Uh, huge private property taking, and there are some exemptions for agriculture, but not enough that that justifies the change to WOTUS, And very frankly, it's a Single like largest attack on private property rights. And, and the Agriculture Committee is, you know, we're concerned with all of rural America. Uh, any stepped-up basis, it's amazing how attuned to, you know, the far, folks who are back home and across the country, you know, are to the, the efforts, uh, the proposal by the Biden administration to change uh, how the death tax works. It would make it absolutely impossible to pass along a family farm, ranch, forestry operation to the next generation if they were successful.
0: That's right. I mean, the policy concerns as we look to the future are certainly huge, DT. And so that's why I want to pick your brain a little bit. As the Ag Committee gets up and gets going, of course, had a little bit of delay with the start of Congress as the as the team settled on a speaker. But now that that's behind us, what's next for the Ag Committee?
8: Well, we uh, just populated uh, recently the Republican side of the the Agriculture Committee, and I'm thrilled. Uh, I have uh, 27 members that are joining me. It's a nice selection of uh, very passionate freshmen through across the country. We've got great regional representation from the nation uh but also you know there's a a nice core of returning experience i was able to put uh, uh former chairman frank lucas back on the committee uh looking forward to having him at my side as we do this farm bill we've john rose from from uh tennessee who had never served on the farm uh on the agriculture committee but quite frankly he uh Former agriculture commissioner in Tennessee, a farmer himself, so we got great talent and passion to get this done. Waiting on my my friends across the aisle, the Democrats, to be to populate their committee. I think that will be occurring here soon, and then we can get and then we can get started. Uh, right off the agenda, I know that you know we got to do a lot of work. Uh, you know, there's over 200 members of Congress that have never voted or even debated a farm bill, so we got a lot of member education that we need to do on and off the committee. Uh, we need to conduct a thorough audit of what's working, what's not working, what needs fine tuning. As you mentioned, we're we're behind uh, not just since the beginning of the year, but quite frankly, we really didn't have the intensity the past couple of years that we're we're used to when it comes to a farm bill. I I was ranking member; I didn't have any control over that. But we're going to make we're going to make that distance up by working hard with both uh, in Washington uh, uh, hearings. Uh, but also, um, uh, you know, additional regional listening sessions around the country.
0: GT, you mentioned the the lack of, of, I don't want to say enthusiasm. Of course, there are passionate folks working to get a farm bill passed, but the lack of discussion about the farm bill makes me wonder, in this next iteration, do you expect to see more of the same as this farm bill works towards a completion?
8: No, absolutely not. Uh, I I'm, uh, I'm, I intend to be the spark to make sure that we work at a uh, that the agriculture committee is, uh, is a high performing team, uh, that we're working you know, we're working together, Republicans and Democrats, you know, to advance a farm bill that we're, that we get done on time. Uh, we get one done that's bipartisan and we get one done. That's highly effective of, of uh, uh, serving our rural communities. Uh, serving our, uh, those hardworking families to provide us food, fiber, building materials, energy resources, uh, the processors. I mean, uh, there's, uh, you know, if we do this right, we have the opportunity to restore a robust rural economy. And I think that serves every American family, no matter what your zip code is, really well.
0: That is a great point, GT. Now, you mentioned there are a lot of new faces, both in Congress and on the Ag Committee. And I'm wondering, with those new faces, are you hearing new priorities or new areas of focus that might come in range here as the Farm Bill moves towards uh, completion?
8: No, you know, we're uh, uh, time will tell on that. I, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing on, on the Republican side a lot of a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion for agriculture. Uh, I was really pleased with the individuals that it was uh, that I was able to get onto the committee. Um, you know, uh, you know, part of it is we we need to make sure that we're doing these audits, right? We we need to make sure that we're bringing the voices from rural America. That's what I worked hard to do, just as the ranking member over the past two years. But we need to do that in a bipartisan way. Uh, looking forward to getting the committee out. To, Different parts of the country, uh, so that we can do listening session and and make those visits like we've traditionally done in the past. That's a great way to uh, really to be able to hear what's needed, what's working, what's not, um, and then uh, and then it's going to be interesting to see. You know, as uh, at least my experience with having done a couple farm bills, uh, you know, once we 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 provide the members of the committee that type of information that they they really hear firsthand. From the people that in rural America. Uh, then some, some of them will find the things that they're very passionate about and, and will be interested in taking the lead on.
0: That is so true. Now, you mentioned those listening sessions. Congressman, for folks, it's been five years since we've had a farm bill. For folks who, who don't remember how this works, can the regular public make it to these listening sessions and get their concerns heard?
8: Oh, absolutely. And And quite frankly, the way we do it today, uh, we have opportunities you don't need to leave the comfort of your home you know if you go on to our uh, uh, the agriculture website you'll be able to find a QR code uh, to be able to scan it'll open up a document to be able to submit information you'll be able to probably find find a link uh, such in addition to the QRl uh, or the QR code I'm sorry uh, and uh, uh, and then uh, yeah these listening sessions we'll be advertising them we'll be Promoting them, uh, encouraging folks to come out. Uh, when we, uh, for example, the one we did in Pennsylvania, we, you know, we tried to identify uh, which is, uh, you know, for the couple hours that we had, uh, uh, key constituencies in terms of commodity groups, uh, but also obviously ag education, uh, nutrition. I mean, really uh, conservation, and uh, so it was a great opportunity to hear from. Representatives of those distinct stakeholders with within the, the farm bill jurisdiction, but we had a couple hundred people in attendance there too, and they all had the ability either in on on in paper that we we made widely available for folks to submit comments, or we gave them great as I said before, great pathways online. We want all the voices at the table. You know, you don't want us writing a farm bill. Quite frankly, you don't want your elected officials writing any piece of legislation just listening to the voices inside the beltway of washington and uh uh, we don't do that with the farm bill uh that's why we uh you know we we do this outreach and look forward to doing that and uh for this 2023 farm bill
0: Absolutely. Folks, for a representative democracy to work, you've got to represent yourself. Get to these listening sessions as they become available. We've been speaking with Congressman G.T. Thompson, chair of the House Ag Committee. And Congressman, thank you so much for joining us today.
8: My, uh, my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: And folks, stay with us. All this government action internationally around the world this past year has changed currency valuations that could impact the beef market. We'll talk with Aaron Borer of the U.S. Meat Export Federation when AOA returns.
3: Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA,
0: Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up heading to ncba in new orleans february's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on wednesday february 1st from 9 to 10 a.m i'll be broadcasting aoa live from the u.s meat export federation booth on behalf of the national corn growers association also on thursday at 12:30 in the learning lounge i'll be facilitating ncga's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and port of new orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation we'll see you in new
6: orleans
7: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's get caught up what's going on in this grain and livestock trade here on Friday. A little bit of profit-taking being seen here in the grains and also in the livestock trade as it appears to be a fairly quiet start to our trading day. And we're watching scattered snows falling over parts of Iowa and Wisconsin. And this clipper system bringing this big cold front is going to bring a shot of Arctic air down into the U.S. here this weekend, starting in the northern plains and reaching as far south as as Kansas, that could have some concern for dormant winter wheat where snow cover is lacking. we going to have to watch that very closely. Now, also, we're just keeping an eye on South American weather, too. That's going to be a big storyline here moving forward, seeing some rains in Argentina. How does that help out the crops down there? A little bit of an improvement with Argentina's quarter soybean crop, according to Buenos Aires Grain Exchange, but still not a huge improvement. We're also watching as uh, Chinese soybean buyers got a little nervous yesterday, and that played out in the markets as they're waiting on this big crop from Brazil. And in the meantime... Buying a little bit of U.S. beans here, waiting to see how that harvest goes in Brazil as some of the rains being seen in Brazil slowing down the harvest here, the early harvest of soybeans. So a few different storylines in the market, but overall, again, just a little bit of quiet profit taking being seen in the grains here as we head towards the weekend. We see corn right around unchanged, soybeans around uh, 2 to 6 lower in the wheat market, also about 2 to 7 lower here as we work through the trade. Livestock action still waiting for cash cattle activity to really pick up as the south has been just kind of stuck with asking prices at 1 to 57 firm, 250 plus asking prices in the north. We should see more trade developed throughout the day. Hog market uh, just a little bit lower after finding some support yesterday. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen.
1: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to A.O.A. 2022
0: was a year of extremes in the ag industry as input prices surged, consumer prices surged, and of course the commodity markets were volatile the entire year long. One industry that did have a fairly phenomenal 2022 was the meat export game from the United States of America. Joining us now for a reflection on last year's action, plus a look ahead to what might be coming in 2023, is Erin Borer. She serves as the economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Aaron. Thanks for joining us today.
11: Yeah, thanks, Mike.
0: Let's talk first about this past year, Aaron. We had a phenomenal set of records in the meat export business, didn't we, from the United States?
11: We sure did, and that was not without headwinds, which makes it that much more impressive. But yeah, beef exports—you know—still waiting on the the December stats, but assume that they were ending somewhere close to 12 billion. We won't have hit that mark quite, but $10.9 billion um, worth of beef exports through November, up 14%. And on the pork side, really value was also the story there, even though volume pulled back. So still nearly $7 billion with exports through November. And that was off 7% from the record of 2021.
0: Wow. Incredible demand. We know that those exports added a tremendous amount of value on the finished product of those uh, those animals moving off our shores, Aaron. So as the livestock industry looks ahead to this next year, they're still grappling with some of those issues from 2022, high input costs, high corn prices, of course, high energy prices. And we got to be able to grab that export business still. As you look ahead to this year, Aaron, given all the currency fluctuations we've seen over the past year, have any other meat producers or around the world gained the ability to come after U.S. meat exports?
11: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I mean, just kind of taking a step back, it looks like we'll say the the headwinds are easing a bit for this year, believe it or not. And on the currency side in particular, against some of the most important importing country currencies, the U.S. dollar peaked back kind of like early November. And so we've actually seen their purchasing power recover off of those lows. And for example, the Japanese yen and the Korean won were some that got hit the hardest. And so the recovery in those consumers purchasing power in US dollar terms has been to the tune of about 13%. And so still a historically strong dollar, but um, we've been moving in the right direction. And then we can't forget the Mexican peso, which is actually about 8% stronger, so an 8% advantage for those Mexican consumers buying in U.S. dollar terms, um, compared to a year ago. So we know how critical Mexico has been, especially on the pork side. And so that's actually been a benefit, believe it or not.
0: Aaron, I'm glad you brought up Mexico. Earlier on today's show, we talked with Tom Haig, president of the National Corn Growers Association, about Mexico's goal to stop importing GMO corn from the United States. And I've got to imagine that would hit their livestock production sector first and hardest. Do you anticipate this deal happening from the USMEF perspective, the, the Mexico ban on GMO corn? And if so, how would that impact their meat industry?
11: Yeah, it would be devastating in a word. And Mexico's industry is really important, right? They have grown on their exports of beef and pork, and Mexico has, of course, had a labor advantage. And so they rely on our imported feed, but then they have the labor advantage to be able to produce value-added products. And think of this, especially with their pork exports to Japan, And so they're able to kind of slice, dice, prepare that product, semi-prepare it for the Japanese market. Japan doesn't have labor either. And so Japan also has a gate price, which is complicated. But the main idea is that you benefit from shipping in a higher value product. And that's been a real win for Mexico. So um, they've had growth in, again, kind of producing, I don't even know if I'd call it niche, but product where that can maximize the value of their industry for the international market, while also importing the feed and the meat to use in their domestic industry and for domestic consumers. So the comparative advantages within North America have been benefiting Mexico. And it's just unfathomable to think that they would take this step. And so we see, you know, the delay in implementation and perhaps that kind of continues.
0: Aaron, I know USMEF is plugged into the meat industry down there in Mexico, and of course, you have representatives in that industry. Has the livestock industry in Mexico pushed back on this in a big way? Ha- have you heard?
11: Yes, certainly. Yeah, no oh, doubt. Okay. They know it is um, not, not a possible, impossible to survive if it goes forward.
0: Okay. All right. So we will have some pressure coming from that sector as this year goes on. And Aaron, while we've got you on the line and we're talking imports, you mentioned the pork business volume dropped back this past year, even though value has accelerated. And I'm wondering, as that volume has stepped back, did some of it come in reduction in purchases from China?
11: Yes, exactly. So This, of course, this story started in mid-2021. And what was really impressive is that U.S. exports managed to still set another record in 21. And so we benefited from that diversification, which has been a core strategy that the industry and USMEF has had for years. And then the pullback further in 2022 really came globally from China. So just for context, China imported $6 billion less pork in 2022 compared to 2021, which is kind of hard to wrap your head around. That was 1.8 million tons less pork imported by China from all suppliers. So Europe is their biggest supplier right there with Brazil. Brazil had been gaining share into the Chinese market. And so what happened is it hit our competitors harder than it hit us. But then you had depressed prices from our competitors which our exporters were up against in all of the markets. So you remember how strong our pork prices were last year. And to me, that was impressive that we were able to sustain those price levels and export volumes to the degree that we did, knowing that our exporters were against cheaper product basically everywhere because of the pullback in China's imports. So it was that ripple effect across the world that we fared better and largely due to our, you know, Latin American markets.
0: You know, what I'm interested in those Latin American markets over this past year, Aaron, we have seen the Chinese partner with the Brazilians on importing more corn out of that country. You mentioned we've seen their growth in Brazilian pork purchases accelerate. Have we heard any moves from China to aggressively expand pork or beef production in South America?
11: Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. Um, but certainly, China is the big market for South America, you know, across the commodities essentially. Um particularly if we look at beef and so I was a little bit nervous about China's beef demand this year when they were still under the zero covid policy. And China is obviously the biggest beef importer in the world. They imported like 18 billion dollars worth of beef last year, which was Essentially, ten billion dollars more than we imported here into the U.S. We used to be the biggest beef importer in the world, so a pretty massive sea change over the sea change over the past couple of years. And so, those massive imports into China was fifteen percent increase in volume um, came at a time when they've been under zero COVID for you know kind of rolling lockdowns all of last year, and then we saw that major shift in. It really kind of started in early November with dynamic COVID zero. And then in December, just let it go. And so for me, that's the really the big macro change as we look ahead to 2023, not just the weakening or kind of retrenching of the US dollar, but this China reopening. So Lunar New Year, our staff will start work again um, Saturday, China time. And we'll start to see the mood after the big Chinese New Year holiday. But it feels like I was expecting China's total beef imports to decrease this year, and that was going to be a momentum change globally for beef. There are inventories and freezers in China. It's going to take some time for this reopening to restaff restaurants, that type of thing. But it feels like this could be big in the coming months and be a more positive momentum change and really where China has been for the past several years on the beef side.
0: Absolutely. To keep that Chinese momentum going into this new year would be phenomenal for for cattle business folks looking for a market for their goods. Aaron, while we've got you on the line, I know this isn't your bailiwick necessarily, but I did see a headline this past week about a currency union in South America between the Mercosur countries, notably Argentina and Brazil. A, would something like that happen? And B, if it did, would it impact the meat game at all?
11: Yeah, Mike, I do not see it happening. I have dear friends in Brazil and Argentina, and I also understand the the kind of challenging relationship between the countries historically, and I've seen some of those dynamics play out. So I just have a really hard time imagining this actually happening. Um, we know Argentina's inflationary challenges, which are not new and are tremendous, so. I, I kind of write it off at first blush. Um, I should study it more, but it just doesn't seem feasible on the surface. And yeah, I mean, Argentina has their own, clearly their own challenges. Their government is still somewhat restricting beef exports. They were able to grow exports last year. They had some increase in slaughter last year, and that was partly drought driven, especially, you know, kind of fourth quarter. And Argentina's slaughter was up about 4% last year and it should have been more steady so there was it looks like a little bit of liquidation down there again mostly weather related and their exports were able to grow china is of course their dominant market um and brazil's slaughter was up about nine percent their exports surged again largely to china um but i they have you know like some currency advantage already um but different argentina Currency situation complicated. Um, Yes. Brazil, the real has actually been pretty steady over the past year or so, and it had devalued in prior years and had kind of found a stable trading range.
0: Things to watch in the year going forward, folks. We've been talking with economist, Aaron Borer of the US Meat Export Federation, and stick around, we'll talk trade with Garrett Toy when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away.
1: More AOA coming right up.
6: a message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
4: Call for Closure Protection Services now at 800 926 1701. 800 926 1701. That's 800 926 1701.
3: The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
5: Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed.
1: Welcome back, ladies and
0: gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate you joining us today for our last segment on today's show. We're going to turn our focus to the markets, and it's kind of a quiet day, though it looks like some buying activity may be working its way back into the commodities. Joining us now for an update is Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. And Garrett, what are you making of the market trade this morning?
9: Well, you're absolutely right. It's very quiet. It's consolidated. We had big rallies yesterday outside up uh, outside higher day in March corn, uh, big bull spread moves. Um, but uh, a little bit of Friday uh, consolidation here with a 686 area. Uh, we're we'll back to this upper end of this trading range and, and see if we have uh, the charts look a little bit different today than what they were maybe going home uh, last Friday and when we had the big sell off Sunday night. So Um, We're going to see if Sunday night's trade is going to have enough oomph or a catalyst to, to push us through the upper end of the range here after we held this bottom end of the range, but otherwise it seems like we're still in a 665 to 685, 686 type trading range.
0: Garrett, you know, after yesterday's action in the corn market, I was expecting a little more follow through in today's action, but I noticed we got that GDP data out this morning and that seemed to sort of suck some of the oxygen out of the commodity markets. Am I seeing something that really wasn't there or did that change money flow this morning?
9: No, I I think you're right. I mean, the dollars kind of rallied. We kind of started the day out. We had a nice macro rally overnight and we can't really... Truly, give much weight to the overnight markets as far as the, what the day's direction is going to be. But you know, we had a nice rally in crude up to eighty-two dollars, and, and to me, that's the key thing here. Is that you know, for the last uh, month and a half or so, we've traded a seventy-dollar to eighty-dollar crude range, uh, and we were starting potentially to go back down into that range but uh, uh we we've we've held this 80 dollars support so if we can get a rally in crude um rising tide lifts all ships that could support the 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 grains especially uh with ethanol being uh, one of the weaker legs of the corner market but you're absolutely right a little bit disappointing to see uh lack of follow-through um but uh, again like we've mentioned before is that you know exports are out here exports are strong we had decent export sales yesterday but this ethanol market's kind of struggling here a little bit if we can get a crude rally and support margins then maybe we can go back up and test seven dollars but we need to kind of do some work here a little bit trying to find some demand
0: that $7 mark just sits out there tantalizing the trade as we get close to 690 and change, just can't quite get to it. Garrett, I want to turn the focus over to the soybean market. You mentioned we're seeing strong exports still on the corn side. Are we starting yet to compete with those Brazilian beans in the export market?
9: Well, we've actually, well, we we are the market right now. We're basically waiting until we aren't competitive with beans and and uh, with with South America. Um, we did have six week high in export sales, and it's basically just a function of. Um, you know, Yes, the, the Brazilian bean harvest has started, uh, it's just that the, the, the supplies needed to hit the water to pressure their market to really fully transition to uh, Brazilian harvest just hasn't gotten there yet. So uh, in the meantime, with our avail- bean availability, we're still the market, but that uh, the, the clock is ticking on that. It, it could be next week. It should be next week, really. Uh, we get into February days and, and uh, the South American harvest really starts to kick in full bore but um, you know I did see that uh, you know well I did see some trades into China for for uh, April in the Brazil time frames but things have been even though China is on holiday this week they've still been active buying some new crop beans which in my opinion is a good sign that they're buying some new crop beans out of the US even with this big South American crop right in front of us
0: that's true. Garrett, as you take a look at the wheat market here today, a little bit of weakness, anything giving you concern from a chart perspective?
9: Um, not really. It, it, it still looks like we're trying to forge a bottom in here. Uh, we, we, uh, but we just can't get much for a follow through. Uh, Kansas City wheat has kind of led uh, the way higher here. Uh, versus Chicago, uh, which it kind of should, but I'll, I'm a little cautious on that because of the, the, the premiums are historically high levels. Uh, as far as Chicago wheat is concerned though, we're, we're treated right up to you know, one week highs essentially, but we're right up against this moving average, these moving averages which are short term trending lower. If we can get a move above 7, 765, uh, and get that 50 day moving average behind us. That would be the first time since October. Maybe we can build on something there, but uh, you know, it does seem like the 725 to 750 level, at least for now, uh, is providing
3: a base of support.
0: All right, that's in the Chicago. Garrett, on the spring wheat side, $9 plus spring wheat. Is that going to be enough to uh, compete for acres with corn in the north?
9: Uh, that's a good question. Ninety percent uh, of that decision making is going to depend on the weather, but uh, I actually do think that uh, you know spring wheat could be the premium wheat here for the for the time being, just because these deliverable stocks are uh, are, are getting to be fairly tight. So uh, I think there's going to be some spread activity here that we're we're going to see some narrowing. Um, you know, flat price wise is largely I think that the premium is going to. Kansas City and Chicago, or, excuse me, Kansas City in Minneapolis should remain fairly stout versus Chicago markets. I don't know uh, if nine dollar wheat, nine dollar wheat, most years would probably cut it as far as acres, but you know, given that snowpack up there, uh, that's that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question.
0: That's a great point. I was up in Fargo's in in the Red River Valley this past week, and my goodness, that is a lot of snow sitting in that country. Garrett, before we let you go, we do have a bright spot in the commodity markets today. It's not on the grain side. It's over in cattle. Do you expect to see some gains here in the cattle market after this GDP result?
9: You know, in in theory, it should, because it tells us, you know, everyone's fear of looking over their shoulders of having uh, this recession lingering, um, that we should... uh, that we should be fearing this recession but the GDP is acting uh better than than what you know it's still positive you know this time last year we were looking at a negative GDP um yeah I mean I think that things look positive but for the near term you know these April Fats uh, this 163 high seems to be holding in here um I think we're probably in a 159 to 162 type range near term
0: All right, folks, that's Garrett Toy. You can catch him this weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. We got in-depth with some of these commodities. Garrett, thanks for joining us here today.
9: Yep, thanks for having me.
0: And folks, tune in next time to AOA. We'll talk weather with John Baranek of DTN. We'll see you then. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge at 1130. I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle.
5: We'll see you in New Orleans.
6: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
5: I like that too.
6: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.